0: Well, look, thanks for coming as well. I appreciate you taking the time you know, to speak to us. Um, there's, there's quite a lot to cover. I was just reading about you um, before. So you're obviously a business owner, a public speaker, um, published author, which was a best-selling book as well, um, expat on top of that. And you run a anti-bullying um, foundation of, of some kind. So quite a lot to get through, I'd, I'd imagine um yeah sort of starting from from the beginning as far back as you feel comfortable going really um yeah. whereabouts are you from in the uk um originally
1: yeah so I'm, I'm kind of i'm half half english half danish so um you know my mum's side are all, are all vikings and the, my dad's side are all saxons so um you know i i grew up in in a mixture of places in the south of england um army families so we moved around quite a lot um, but mostly in sort of Wiltshire, Somerset area. The, the, the first kind sort of six years, seven years of my life was in Aldershot. Uh, then, then we moved to kind of um, Bath area.
0: Okay. So nice parts of the UK actually. All of those places are quite pleasant. There's nothing really uh, too bad to say about any of them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, I mean
1: you get you get nice nice spots and nasty spots in every area, right? True. But I mean, yeah, so, so, <laughs> yeah. maybe mm-hmm. so, certainly very different environment to Dubai. I think, yeah,
0: yeah and uh you moved from there when you went to uni or you, you, you was know, that the first time you sort of spent a significant period in any place if you're moving around as a child or how was that yeah so so,
1: so i mean we, we used to like, i guess from the age of about eight till till seventeen eighteen i was I was pretty much in the bath area um okay. studying working and then when I was when i was um, when I was eighteen I moved to Denmark and I started working oh, as a chef. And uh, I worked as a chef just to earn some money before I started uh, my degree over there. Um, and I went to Denmark to study architecture. And um, and yeah, so I spent about a year and a half studying architecture in Denmark. Um, and I, I dropped out of university. I, for me, it was it was a case of I was it's, it wasn't like uni in England. All my all my friends were enjoying uni in England, the social side, the kind of getting a loan yeah. to pay for your social life. And for me, there was no loan, there was no grants. It was just while well, university was free, which is a massive bonus for anyone in the EU at the time, which I you know I wanted to make full use of, the the reality for me was that, you know, studying 8 30 till kind of five 30, 6 30 at night. And then nine 8, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. I was, I was, I was basically washing dishes in the steakhouse um, to try and earn money to pay rent and stuff. And so after about a year and a half of this, um i pretty much had enough (laughs) i remember kind of going into university each day to see the lecturer and my my shoes the only shoes i had were still wet from the night before (laughs) it was pretty depressing (laughs) and uh, i went to speak to her and i said look you know i I love i love architecture i find it fascinating but where will i be in 30 years 40 years if i totally smash this what's my life going to look like and she did like what what any good professor would do she tried to paint a very inspiring image of what that would look like but it came from her kind of view and her her picture of, of life and what success looked like and for me what she did kind of un, unknowingly was basically put a cap on what what i could do and what i wanted to do and that was just such a a moment for me a pivotal moment because it 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 stopped me in my tracks i was i remember just going home and just being like you know that's no longer inspiring because i because there seems to be a cap on this based on what the 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 lecturer has said i could do so that night i I booked a one-way flight to india and i basically just just carried on traveling (laughs) (laughs) around southeast asia and india and um i guess for me that's that's where entrepreneurship really started um you Know, I, I didn't have any money, so I had to be very resourceful and very creative to try and see how much I could stretch the budget and travel for as long as possible.
0: Well, it's a pretty extreme decision to go from Denmark to India. Why, why, why India? What was appealing about that?
1: Yeah, I think probably as as the as we chat and the stories come out, you'll probably notice I'm, I make fairly extreme decisions. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> India, India always seemed like a really exciting place to travel. I remember. I remember looking at like a lonely, a lonely planet guide and just being really inspired by it and, um, you know, flicking through the pages and just being like, where's the most extreme place I could travel for the for the most incredible experiences? And India is one of those places, right, where it's just a, a real assault on the senses. I don't know if you've ever been to India.
0: I have, yeah, it's uh, chaos yeah. is the word I would use, I think.
1: Right, yeah, but it somehow works, right? So it's, it's yeah. all like organized chaos yeah. and you, cro- yeah. you cross the road and you close your eyes, but it somehow works and um yeah. and for me it was just the most exciting adventure and a lot of my life building up to that was you know i was i was adventure was very much a high value of mine you know from from uh, the, the extreme sports i'd done up until that point to kind of cycling across the sahara desert or skydiving or whatever it is there's a lot of things in my life which have kind of pushed me towards
0: um higher risk more adventurous pursuits Fair. i would say even um chefing is uh it's fairly hardcore you know I, when i was in hospitality i noticed the chefs they yeah. it really takes it out of them actually it's a, it's a tough oh, laugh, so. so
1: i think i think chefs are probably some of the most stressed people i've ever met <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: that's it they all need yeah. advice that's for sure <laughs> and, uh, that's cool and um 100%. so so you actually moving to dubai you're not it's not really your first time as a expat really you're so Denmark no I, I mean
1: moving to Dubai was different because I had a wife and children right but I had one child at the time um, and also we, we you know we were starting a business here so there was there was there was a lot of risk involved you know it was a big jump a big risk a big jump um, but a different a different type of risk right I mean you know when you' when you're young and you're traveling it's the, your, your responsibility to look after yourself when you when you're when you're running a business and you're a dad, and you've got lots of staff. Your responsibility is to a look after your family, make sure they're safe, secure, but also make sure your your team are are kind of in a, in a secure place as well, based on the risks yeah. you're taking, right?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, how how long were you in India for?
1: Only a few months. Only a few months. And um, you know, just picked up random work. I, 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 I kind of worked in various hotels. one of the one of the funny stories I've got is people always ask me what was that what was kind of the, one of the first entrepreneurial gigs i had and i often say it was it was being a monkey chaser <laughs> and uh and um people are like what's a monkey chaser well a monkey chaser is someone who chases monkeys and it's not a very wow. sustainable job you know and uh, and there's a, <laughs> a long story short with the monkey chasing story um, and I actually put this on a CV when I came back to the UK and I applied for it uh, for university. I put this on, a, on the CV and sent it out to UCAS. But, um, but yeah, the, uh, the monkey chasing job basically originated because I was sitting with a friend of mine having a, like, a, like a tea in a courtyard at the bottom of a hotel. And we looked up and there was branches all over this courtyard. No one else was there. You know, there was business was down because of all the branches. The source of the problem was monkeys, right? So monkeys were up there just breaking branches, chucking them down. So we basically said to the hotel owner, we can solve your monkey problem by chasing the monkeys out. If you give us half board, you know, accommodation, whatever, for a week. So we did that. Yeah. So from monkey chasing to Southeast Asia, I, I realized that I could work with a lot of hotels. And um, again, kind of looking into how I could create an income um, while I was traveling to keep it going, to, you know, to, to make the, the trip last longer. And I realized that I could basically go to train stations and, and um Uh, ports where ferries were coming in and and speak to tourists as they come off and say to them you know i know a great place with a great hotel owner brilliant hotel with a good rate and i'd have 10 to 15 people follow me after visiting and i just i just you know all the passports to the hotel owner there's your there's your um 15 guests for the whole week can you put me up for the hotel for the week and and you know i just did this throughout throughout asia and it worked really well um you know i guess there's that element of you know, people wanting familiarity and trusting, trusting me because I was from the same place as them or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I, I think traveling taught me to be quite resourceful, um, and and that's something that's really benefited me. I, I really feel like in, in entrepreneurship, it's it's resourcefulness and creativity are some of the best skills. I think we've seen that a lot in in 2020 when everyone was highly disrupted. A lot of people had to pivot very, very quickly, and that required people to be quite resourceful and creative, right? So. So yeah and then after that I came back to the uk Um, eventually had to come back you know there was there was yeah. a, what i was doing was great fun and it was an adventure but it had to end at some point um i didn't want to study university anymore um but i wanted to do something physical i was i was basically training on thai boxing camps for a long time in thailand while i was traveling and um, sort of eight hours a day you know three to six months training it was it was pretty grueling but really amazing inspiring stuff and i wanted to continue that when i got back to the uk I um, had, a, had a decent background in martial arts at that point. I'd about 20 years of, 18 years of training in martial arts. Um, and I decided to become a personal trainer. And my first gig as a personal trainer was running a, a Thai boxing club. And um, so I started this Thai boxing club in Bath. It was a, it was a fairly rundown gym. And it was very much a, um, very much a, a, a place people went because they wanted to kind of let off steam during the week. And, you know, a lot of the guys were there because they, they wanted to do sparring and stuff and, and get, in, get in good shape. But it was it was a fairly high testosterone kind of gym. Yeah. And um, and I realized that a lot of the work I was doing was was with a lot of the, the adolescents there, the kind of 14 to 17 year old teenagers, particularly boys in that in that gym at that time. And um, you know, a lot, a lot of them came from very disadvantaged backgrounds. They were they were often sleeping rough on the street. They were into drugs, into alcohol. Um, you know, they would come in with black eyes. They they had really unhealthy relationships around them with their family, with their friends. A lot of them had been kicked out of school, so they were just finding work. It was pretty desperate. Some of the, the stories and situations they were they were finding themselves in. And um, one of the things I I realised was we were making a really big impact. Well, I was making through the work I was doing them a really big impact because essentially I was giving them a, a moral compass and giving them, you know, a, a, a way to kind of look at life a little bit differently and um, developing their conduct and boosting their confidence and be giving them drive and, and something to really put themselves into. And it suddenly dawned on me, you know, the, for these guys, what if I had started this work with them from a younger age? you know, where would they be now? What sort of decisions would they make now if they had the same opportunities I had studying martial arts and the tenets of taekwondo and living through strong values, you know, through a lot of it through what was kind of passed down through me being in an army family and, you know, the kind of respect and conduct But that combined with the martial arts side and that real focus on character development I had as a young person. What if they had had that from a younger age, despite the situation they were in? What Decisions would they have made differently to to what they were kind of making now, and I realised that the reality was there would have been this this kind of compounding snowball effect of positive decisions, which would have completely reshaped their life. So I was really inspired to start working with younger children, Um, and I and I remember going to the primary school where I had basically grown up in my you know in the village I was growing up in, and um, I started a six week course there that 100 students in the school. And around twenty signed up to a full-time club with us, um, and that was the beginning. That was the first Warrior Academy club, and obviously in the last um, ten years it's grown into a, a kind of global organisation. And we've mentored over ten thousand students around the world, and it and it's been voted top five in the UK. And um, yeah, it, it just it just all escalated from that that one moment. I, I really think you know where I where I kind of made the decision to to work with young people.
0: That's awesome. I think you've sort of also been inadvertently amazingly on trend as well because that sort of time period um, was sort of the boom of UFC and uh, I actually had a few friends who went out to those Thai camps as well around probably like 2015. Is that around the same sort of time? Maybe a bit earlier? And then, um, yeah, yeah, it it just sort of took over as as I think those things became a lot more popular um, around that time. So whether or not you planned it or not, probably actually very very good timing <laughs> to start something like yeah. that as well
1: yeah it's, it's interesting I, I, I do think a lot of people have, have been leaning into martial arts a lot more I, I think one of the one of the challenges we've got is the more it's become commercial the less traditional values there's there yeah. you know if you look at if you look at the way a lot of these role models are behaving people like conor mcgregor right the way yeah. they're acting the way they're behaving for it's me well Right. Well, the martial arts technique is amazing. And, and and I love the concept of developing the most efficient martial arts style and having, you know, the, the UFC back in the day, we used to have pure Kung Fu versus karate and it was just yeah. fairly raw. But you, you basically got to the bottom of no ego, what works, what yeah. doesn't work. And I thought that was so cool. But the reality, I think the reality is that as it's evolved, it's become more commercial, a lot of money's involved and it's show business you know and 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 sadly for a lot of these guys you know while some of them are able to you know you look at um george st pierre you know people like that they they do a great job of being a great role model and living true to the values a lot of these guys come from traditional martial arts backgrounds but then you've got other people and you know who 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 give the wrong image you know and and it's and, and that can be quite damaging so a lot of a lot of our work is we we basically teach freestyle taekwondo, so we take all of the 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 excellent elements of traditional taekwondo, the good conduct, the focus on a moral compass. We add in a lot of modern teaching and you know character development side, mindful parenting, cyber safety, all this sort of stuff, and then we basically look at martial arts as how can we make it as efficient as possible, and really focus on the self defence and practical application of of their of their training. So we're basically looking yeah. to kind of. Create
0: this martial arts in the future. Very cool. I think that taekwondo also, as it's um, you know it's Olympic sport, right? So, it, as compared to some martial arts, it actually has the opportunity to progress into something that they can do, um, yeah, for their country if they want, or or you know as yeah. a as a athlete themselves. You know, whereas a lot of them, what do you do with all that that skill? If that is really what you love and you're you're very good at it. Yeah, kind of, I suppose you have to go down the showbiz biz route um, with with other skills. But no, that's cool. That's that's, that's very interesting. Um, so you got the business in the UK, the first place there, and then from there it just sort of expanded into multiple branches. How how, how did that happen? Was that an intentional thing, or was it just a demand-driven um, natural yeah, growth? So,
1: so... So the UK, the UK Warrior Academy, it, it essentially started in village halls and schools across the southwest, pretty much Bath area, up to Salisbury, um, all the way down to Shaftesbury and up to Chippenham, uh, for anyone who, who knows what that is. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it's it started, you know, within the first year, we had about 150, 200 students. It grew to around 600 students and over, over 1,000 training a year um, with us, um, and about, about seven, eight years in. You know, we had a really good team in place. We were managing it all. I kind of stepped back quite a bit um, at that point. And I, and I realized, you know, we really wanted to test the War Academy somewhere urban in a, in a really populated city. And I thought, about, I thought about London. You know, it's the most obvious choice. And then I was on a long weekend seeing a friend who had moved here. And I realized, you know, Dubai, there's no one in Dubai with the same focus as us on character development. Um, and while it's a bit of a jump to get over here, and there are quite a lot of costs involved to, to launch a business in, in Dubai, it's not like in the UK where you can spend 50 quid and a website, within day one, yeah. you've got a business, right? In Dubai, there's a few more hoops to jump through. So, um, you know, there was all that which, which slowed us down. But... To be honest, it was very quick. We, I kind of made the decision. I went on this long weekend. and I was in August, actually. Long weekend. Who, does, who has a long weekend in Dubai in August? I, I like <laughs> yeah, people who don't know <laughs> and, how hot it gets. I think that's, that's usually. I, it. Think I, was, I think I think my friend lied to me when I said how hot is it. He said oh, it's fine. Yeah, you wait, you yeah. know, you're in aircon most of the time. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's true. So, um, so, um, so yeah, I came home to my wife and and our, our new. Our, you know, one-year-old, almost one at that point, and I said to her, you know, we we were basically living in like our our dream home, you know, like a a beautiful barn conversion in Somerset, and um, life life was really good, but I, I said to her, look, I think we should move to Dubai, and start a business over there, just pack everything up and go, what do you think, and you know, Obviously she was quite nervous about the idea. I, I, I managed to convince her. I managed to pitch to her the idea, explained it would be really good and that it would be a great adventure and she was up for it. She was like, okay, cool, let's just do it. So um, I did lots of small trips and basically to get the word out about the War Academy in Dubai um, and we did a lot of advertising on Facebook for the last sort of kind of six months before we got to Dubai. And um, basically dropping pins in a lot of the um, the kind of um, residential areas across Dubai with a lot of video content of our messages and what we do, the problems we solve for parents, you know, our methodology, our values, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But we weren't really selling at that point. We were just trying to build awareness. Um, and then in, in January, I, we, we, we did a, a three week backpacking trip with our one year old across um, Thailand, did some Thai boxing over there. And then I dropped the, I dropped the family off heat throw and then flew back to Dubai <laughs> kind of a long way of doing it but uh and then you know I started the War Academy and about a month later and I said to my wife look she's also an instructor I said to her, look, I need you out here to help me so I, I need you guys to we were gonna we were gonna get them to, to kind of move over gradually but it just happened four weeks later let's just do it so we stayed you know we moved from our, our dream home to kind of a, a, a studio flat in in Marina uh, where we stayed for six months while we were just trying to launch the business um and it grew very, very quickly here. I remember the first, the first three months I had in, in uh, Dubai, I was contacted by the royal family to, to, um, to work with them and to kind of be the, the character development specialist for their family, working with their children. Um, and so I was, I was teaching a lot in the palace. And then I was, you know, one week in London with them, one week in Dubai with them, back and forth for about six months um, while my wife was basically running and building the business here. And um, and then yeah, after after that summer 2019, we we um, you know took on more instructors here in Dubai. We, we built the team in Dubai, and um, and now we're sort of approaching the, the 600 student mark with our full time um, character the center in uh, in the center of Dubai. So it's 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 growing very very quickly. Yeah.
0: It's very impressive. I think obviously having that validation from royal family in over here is it's probably massive you know do, do you get a huge amount of local children what's the mix like in terms of expat versus i mean
1: to, to be honest it's, it's one of those
0: things that we, we never
1: really talk about you know people it's only really on podcast interviews that i, that I get asked i mean it's 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 um a lot a lot of uh, a lot of people are aware of it but it's not something we pitch I, I you know especially when you've worked with the royal family quite a long time they, they you know the, things are very private and you've got to respect that privacy um, yeah. But we do a lot of the, a lot of the royal family from Abu Dhabi, from Dubai, um, kind of make the trips out there to spend a lot of time in our in our in our center. So we still work with the royal family, but um, but yeah. So so it, it's it's definitely I mean having as you said having that credibility was a was a massive um, benefit to us, and obviously a huge privilege you know as well to, to be invited you know especially in the first few months. It really kind of attested to to our belief that we had something very
0: unique in the Middle East. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think um, also, um, you know, you're adding a lot of discipline. A, a massive part of that would be you know, to be good at any sort of uh, physical skill. You need discipline to stick at it. And I might be wrong, but in many many cases, it seems like discipline is sort of taking a backseat back in schools and families um, everywhere, really, actually. or Mainly in the UK, for sure. And here, I don't know, you see it a little bit. So maybe yeah. giving taking ownership of that side of the child's life is, is quite attractive to a parent to sort of outsource it yeah definitely
1: i i mean it's this is this is the tricky thing i think in in dubai and and i may have slightly alternative use to a lot of parents in dubai but um i, I think first of all i think parenting is it's constantly evolving right and yeah. What, what our what our parents did now we would shake our heads at, and what they what their parents did they'd shake their heads at, and yeah. i think a lot of parents have this element of guilt or almost shame and or you know concern about that are they doing the right thing are they doing the wrong thing um and i think there's some fundamentals in place which which you know parents can focus on to to make some make some uh, real developments with their children right and and for us, you know, that's that's that focus on the three Cs: confidence, conduct, and concentration, which basically make up the character. Um, but it, it's interesting what you say. You know, one of the one of the big Cs for us is conduct. You know, and, and conduct is you know, the, the way a child holds himself. It's it's um, their behaviour. Um, yeah. it's, it's a lot of that stems from what the parents believe behaviour is, and what good behaviour is, or bad behaviour is, and how these things are labelled. You know, so often. We, especially with the cultural diversity in Dubai, you know, a lot of people are very straightforward and blunt in the way they approach the subject of raising their children or behavior. And we often have parents coming to us and explaining, here's my child. They're very badly behaved. They're very naughty. Can you, can you solve this problem? And, you know, the first thing we, we look at is, you know, well, we can certainly help them, you know, improve their discipline or improve their focus. Um, but really we need to to look at the language used around the child, you know, because they're listening all the time. It's even my, even my daughter, you know, whatever I, she picks up whatever I say. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we try and encourage parents to inspire through language, right? So, so, you know, discipline and behavior, one of those things you, you brought up, it's, it's such a a big part of what we do. Um, and there is, there is the culture around here, you know, as you mentioned, again, I sort of outsourcing that, but, I mean, for me, you know, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm a fairly hands-on dad. You know, I, we don't we don't have any help, um, although it'd be quite nice to sort of nannies or maids or anything. Um, and the sort of, you know, not that it's a bad thing to have that, um, but I think it, I think it can be quite easy to kind of fall into the trap of being very reliant on it as a parent, um, and then, then obviously that's not necessarily a good thing, um, because ultimately you want to be the one spending time with your children to to develop them in, in the way that you want to develop them yeah of um, but the way the way often i see parenting is you're, you you can't be there all the time so it's important to build a team um, and and building a team is, is about finding those you feel would be the ultimate role models for your child right so often you know what, what we look at is what we call the communication triangle so when you've got you know parents the child's obviously the center of the whole triangle it's about the child one of the key points is the parents they spend the most time with the child typically then you've got school where a child spends sort of eight hours a day you know huge influence is the, is the teacher or the assistant teacher at the school and and then of course there's this other element and and that other element we typically want to steer parents towards us as that element because our focus is on character development and this sort of stuff is not a focus in school and actually in a lot of cases it's not a focus at home and um, so you know for us it's it's character development is it's the most important yet often missing aspect of a child's education you know and and as i mentioned at the very beginning of this story if, if we can really focus on developing a child's character it influences every decision they make in their life from you know the work they seek the relationships they develop and just Absolutely. alters the route in which they take so so we try and be that support network for parents and but but really the War academy is almost like a movement right it's it's yeah. it's saying to parents look traditional education is great but let's put the majority of our focus on developing the character of a person
0: yeah i I actually uh, agree with that As an as an ethos if you like i think the focus just on grades itself doesn't actually prepare them for the reality of having to be liked actually or get on with people or be able to communicate or be socialized basically so that they're not outcast in you know (laughs) in the real world from other people so it's definitely a shame I mean, that's it's, not uh... it's,
1: it's, it's, it's quite ironic, really. If you, if you place all of your focus on developing a child's grades, it rarely impacts their, their character, mm. their confidence, conduct, and concentration. Well, on the flip side of that, if you put all of the focus on developing a child's character, their conduct, their concentration, their confidence, it directly influences their grades. We had, a, we had a survey about 2,000 parents in um, 2018, and something like 95% of parents said they saw an increase in their child's focus. And on average, we basically basically were in communication with the schools as well. And on average, these students, because of the program they went through with us to develop their focus, their grades went up by 26%. So it was was really interesting for us. I mean, we're we're very data-driven. We we study the data on everything. Um, You know, when when you sign up for the War Academy, essentially, we we ask you to fill in the breakthrough area assessment. So you get a score for confidence, conduct, concentration, and community. And then every three months, we'd be looking to up the percentages. So your child might start with 25% confidence. But in three months, we want to see that at 60%. You know, three months later, we want to see that at 75%. So to, to actually say to a parent, look, we, we're actually working, we're actually taking the big gray area of character development and making it a very tangible thing which you can work towards, I think it's quite unique.
0: Definitely. It's, it sounds like it's quite difficult data to, to, to get hold of, though. Uh, is that like an assessment process or uh, how, how do you... Yeah,
1: I mean, it's actually it's if you're if there are any parents listening to this right now, it's, it's something you can you can use right now. And so if you go to breakthrougharea.com, it's basically forty five questions. It's a scorecard. So it's forty five questions. They're okay. mostly yes no answers, and it's not filled in by us. It's filled in by the parents. So once you fill this okay. in, you get a personalised PDF report, um, which is sent to your email address, which basically outlines what your child's levels are in each of the Cs, and then it explains what their breakthrough area is. The breakthrough area is often the lowest level of the sea so for instance a child might typically have high levels of um of uh, conduct and concentration so that they're they're, they're they're very good academically they can study hard they can you know they they um, they don't mind focusing they can they can focus for a long time but their confidence is low and they don't like trying new things they might struggle socially and so confidence would be their breakthrough area you work on bringing the confidence up to a higher level and suddenly all the three c's are up to a higher level ultimately developing a black belt character so that's our in a nutshell that's basically our our, our method and um, and you know on, on the flip side of that a child could have really high confidence you know loads of energy yeah. typically children with adhd fit into this right yeah. and but they lack they lack in conduct they lack in concentration and the interesting thing about that is, you know, they, they've got all this energy and, and my daughter's probably in this, in this bracket, to be honest, at four years old and, you know, they, they, they've got all this energy and they're told they're not very well behaved because they're not focusing. But the reality is, right. you know, they need something more engaging to keep them focused. And there's always something yeah. there. A lot of the, a lot of these parents, you know, if I ask them, you know, your, you know, my son's really naughty. He can't focus. He's, you know, he never study any focus at school. Okay. So he can't focus. Have you ever seen him play Xbox for five hours on, on in, a, in a go? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You can do that. So you can focus. You can focus, right? But what you need to do is find a way to engage him in, in something which is which which is really stimulating, right? It could be a mixture of mind and body together. So, so it's so yeah, it's it's as you can kind of see, it's it, it depends how deep you go down the rabbit hole. But it's it's yeah. um it's a fascinating subject, and really when you when you dig in and you become very data driven, it's it's quite reassuring for parents because they've suddenly got a route they can use to develop their child's character and um and i think that's i think that's quite inspiring Parenting, that's Definitely. a big reason why we're quite popular in dubai and um, because we've, we've got a very alternative way of looking at a child's development
0: yeah have you ever thought about just taking ownership of the whole education process and creating you know a, a school a, a day school that is built have on we, Taking over
1: the taking over gems and just say right from now on we're not going to work on academics we're gonna we're gonna work on a character development instead.
0: (laughs) You you know it's funny because I actually went to a school which runs on that philosophy right so it's an independent school which is built on Ayurvedic philosophy so we had compulsory meditation twice a day we had Taekwondo twice a week in the middle of the day and um, you know compulsory compulsory yeah yeah. So wow. we did compulsory science where, where, where was this uh, it's it's in london, so yeah it 's a very small independent school um, That's currently fantastic. In, yeah it's a bit unusual and and don't get me wrong you know there, there's, a, there's there's multiple outcomes from that, and the there's some people who really resent the their experience there. It was probably mm. quite hard on the discipline, um maybe a bit outdated even in in their way of doing things um, but in hindsight, you know I, I appreciate. What i got out of it i would, I would probably fall into mm-hmm. that category of not being able to focus you know not perhaps just being engaged enough whatever it was um but that does exist as a, as a concept and it is growing rapidly you know they're doing very well as a, as a school so when yeah, i was there there was yeah. only about 300 of us and now they're, they're well over a thousand so um wow. there's definitely a demand for that um within the education I th- I think, system i think, I think people
1: are, are are looking for alternatives to the to the to yeah. the norm. You know I think especially in the UK I feel like the educational system needs disruption you yeah. know and I and I, feel, I feel like a, a push towards some of the softer skills is is needed but it's interesting what you say you know that a, a few people might resent the, you know what what they what they have in the younger and I, and I, I often yeah. think you know it's it's um we' ne- we never really know what they what the outcome is going to be right and, and yeah. sometimes what we go through' when we're younger it creates voids for us to kind of fill as we as we grow up and we don't know the benefits they've given us, you know, yeah, similar, exactly. in, a, in a similar way, in a similar way to bullying. A lot, a lot of our work is, in, is on bullying. And, um, you know, it, we, we've interviewed so many parents to help them help mentor their children through bullying. We've got a six piece system to, to basically mentor parents to mentor their children through bullying. And, um, you know, I, I kind of look back at bullying because I, 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 I also was you know, bullied quite badly for four years. It's probably one of the reasons I started the work in the first place. And I, I ended up in a school probably fairly similar to this in terms of the discipline, very hardcore discipline. You know, I went from 40 in a class in all the shots to kind of eight in a class, but wow you know, okay. very academic, very, very yeah. harsh on discipline, which in some ways was good because I needed a lot of discipline at that stage. But in other ways, you know, it was, I was punished if I didn't keep up academically when these guys have had six years of private education before me. And, and, sure. and in those ways, it was tricky. So, um but often I kind of look back and, and I think you know the, the bullying I, I I went through because of that transition. A lot of a lot of the work we do is helping people with transitions. Bullying being one of them, changing schools being another, adolescence being another. But the the kind of the the voids of you know created through going through bullying really made me focus on becoming a stronger character, becoming you know having the ability to defend myself, having higher self-esteem, developing my confidence. Do you know what I mean? And and then inspired me to do the same for other people. So. Yeah, just 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 interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah. it is.
0: I, I was looking at uh, some of your stuff earlier, and uh, yeah, there's one thing you said on that subject. It was that the bully is the victim, which mm. I kind of understand, but not perhaps as much as I, I feel like I should do. You know, like um, <laughs> it seems sort of counterintuitive that you know the yeah. aggressor is, so, is the victim in that scenario.
1: Seriously. I mean, so so I, I just read the book um, called Not a Victim, which uh, should be out in two months. Uh, it's the second book. Uh, it, g- it goes along with uh, with an on- on- online course and actually a children's book as well with, with my co-author, Manu Sievinger. And um, basically our, our whole mission is to mentor one million children through bullying. And one of the things we've realised in this, uh, this whole research phase of learning about bullying and basically becoming trying to become experts in bullying with our mission of making parents experts in bullying so they can help their children with that transition. We've we really realised that a lot of the common beliefs people have with bullying are completely flawed. First of all, I mean, if you look at some of the biggest organizations like Stomp Out Bullying or Stop Bullying, it's all geared around preventing bullying from ever happening, Hmm. which is never going to happen. We're never going to stop bullying from ever happening. You know, bullying, unfortunately, is uh, just a part of the, the human experience. When humans socialize with other humans, undoubtedly there's going to be bullying involved we can't change the fact that our children are going to go through bullying you know something like 80 percent of children have gone through some form of bullying especially now with cyberbullying. so we can't stop our children going through bullying but what we can do is change the way in which they respond to it or how they deal with it so a lot of our focus is is not on um, looking at bullying and stopping it from happening which is obviously a very healthy thing to do and, and should be encouraged but more to do with how we can develop a parent and their child and their relationship together to approach it in a different way. Um, and one of those ways, as you brought up, is the the, the bully is the victim. And this is um, it, when when I started doing workshops across Dubai. We had we had planned to do workshops in we had we had them booked out in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, London, Amsterdam, all over the world before COVID hit, and then <laughs> had to stop everything yeah. and go online. But um, but a lot of a lot of what I was what I realized in these workshops was I was kind of it's kind of going in with black belt content, and some parents weren't ready for it. Some parents were like, <laughs> "This is awesome." Other and a few parents were just not ready for some of the statements that I came out with. One of the statements is, um "I would encourage parents to forgive their child's bully." And um, you you try and explain that to a to a, an emotional parent who's going through bullying. And the interesting thing about that is, when we go through bullying ourselves, we mentor our child our children through bullying. We actually relive our previous bully experiences so there's previous emotional triggers that resurface and so it just intensifies the whole thing it's a highly emotive subject it's basically trauma reliving trauma and so you know so a lot of the parents are like how can i possibly forgive my child's bully they're beating them up every day they're horrible to them They're, they're, they're vicious it's it's this and that and you know what i would say is it's first of all and step one of the six p's that we have to take children through step one is perception so we've got to change the way in which children and parents perhaps even more parents look at the bullying and put it in the context what context we put bullying in and when i say to forgive your child's bully what i'm actually referring to is to um to forgive them selfishly and what i mean by that is don't do it for the bully you're doing it for yourself because if your child goes in to the the environment where they're being bullied and they've got all this resentment built up for the bully, it's only gonna reinforce the bully-victim relationship, right? So what we do is we basically try and take the carpet from under the the bully's legs by reframing the whole situation, replacing intimidation and fear with empathy and sympathy and understanding. Where does bullying come from in the first place? Why is this person showing these bullying traits? And we try not to call people a bully, but displaying bullying behavior or traits. And um, and once we can kind of put that across, this is what we've written a, a children's book to go along with this, right? It's not necessarily this bully is a bad person, but there's this flow of negative energy, and um, and suddenly, you know, we've we've had, we've we've almost had some students, what well, we have had, some students come to us and say, look, they they've actually mentored the bully through the transition of bullying that they're going through. It's like <laughs> it's awesome. like psychological warfare. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's like a, it's like when you hear stuff like that, it's it's like. When a nine-year-old says to you that they sat down with a bully and found out the root cause of their bullying, and they taught them through it, it's it's like you've just, you know, it's it's emotional tele- intelligence at a whole new level, and this is the sort of stuff you know when people say martial arts that teaches you to defend yourself physically, but we're going in there and giving these guys the tools to defend themselves mentally, you know, through 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 understanding through empathy, and that's I think one of the one of the things I'm you know, I'm known for in the martial arts world is when I'm asked what the what the, um, especially with within education, what the, what the um, the best form of self defense is. And having kind of done six different styles and competed professionally around the world i, I always say look the, the best form of self-defense is mindfulness and meditation <laughs> because uh because you're um, you're constantly having to defend yourself from negative thoughts a strong inner yeah. critic right yeah how, often, and, and you, how also, often do you need to defend yeah. yourself physically not very
0: well yeah and then to be honest you're, you're you know in most places you're not actually allowed to you know if you if you if you go with the immediate and unrelenting violence response then you end up with a problem rather than the other person yeah. right so actually, your approach makes total sense
1: it's it's one of those it's one of those things where you know a lot a lot of parents are you know if 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 my child's being bullied i'm going to get them to retaliate physically and that will be the end of it and they've got to be strong and yes while that is the case you what what you are then doing is especially if it comes from the 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 father or the dad you can kind of build in this level of toxic masculinity so Mm -hmm. essentially your son may not feel confident or have the courage to respond physically goes through bullying without responding the way you want him to, doesn't want to explain to you what he's gone through when he comes home, and then you just you you basically widen the communication gap. So this goes on for years without you knowing, and so yeah. and so yeah, I mean ultimately a lot of bullying does end physically. You know when when one victim of bullying has had enough, and you know starts to start they start to develop their courage to a point where they the 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 the, the level of courage outweighs the level of uncomfortability and they're just like right i've got to end this and they respond physically And that's the case for a lot of people and um, but we we often you know we, we teach people to do de-escalate verbally psychologically and and the system we've got you know which teaches them about the you know um, putting building in the right context but you know perception and then we talk yeah. about presentation so body language right and how they, when they walk into a room we teach children to walk into a room like they're confident And I mean, how many martial arts classes teach a child to just go in and out of the dojo 20 times until they look confident, until they've got eye contact with, with, with all of the main leaders in the room, eye contact, eye contact, you know what I mean? And it's just going deep into psychology. It's the sort of stuff that lights me up. I love this stuff. No, it's awesome. (laughs) I can rant on this for hours.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll definitely (laughs) read your books as well when they come out. I look forward to that. So we'll put links, whatever in in the bottom when we publish it. Um, Back to the, the the business side of things. So you're still running the UK business as well.
1: Yeah. So I, I basically run about six different businesses now. Um, and a lot, a lot, three, three of them popped up during uh, during lockdown. I realised that once we had pivoted the Warrior Academy online, I had more time because sure. you know the, the team were basically running everything in the UK, running everything in Dubai, and I couldn't necessarily do all the watch workshops I was previously doing. And um, and I realised you know a lot of the, a lot of the team I had and the resources I had. I could help other business owners. So I, I you know, for instance, entrepreneurs, I, I realized entrepreneurs were spending 50 hours a month on social media. So I basically created a partnership with someone with a guy you called know, Jason Greystone, who's got an amazing um, online group and support network for business owners. And we launched a, a product called Ubiquitous, which means to be everywhere at once. And, and so that, that developed into another kind of six figure um, business in, in the first week and wow. uh, there were several other businesses that we launched one was a, a um, an online course creator with dubai's leading production house another partnership so i was kind of the strategy involved and they were the filming and then my team in the philippines we've got about 15 full-time staff in the philippines would basically develop the online courses and upload them so within a week we would take a physical business like a, a wine tasting business or a um, a lifeguarding business or you know whatever it is into an online business so at a time where they couldn't yeah. Generate revenue. They were suddenly able to pivot online and create, and you know, create an income to support their families, to keep their employees, whatever it is, to keep the business running. And obviously, as they've now returned to, um, you know, to, to physical stuff, they've now got this online asset, which they, yeah. you know, they, their business has evolved. Either either they stayed online or they they've gone hybrid. So they've got this this yeah. asset which is doing a lot of the heavy lifting for them.
0: Do you think that that whole COVID lockdown thing has sort of forced people into this online age you know whether they like it or not uh, in, in terms of how they need to survive is that do you think that's here to stay for sure if, if you want to be successful you need to have an online thing as well
1: yeah i, I mean i think i think 2020 you know covid the, the the huge disruption that it caused accelerated what was going to happen in 10 years into 24 months right i mean i, th- I think i think um you know, my mum's my, my a physiotherapist in a, in a village and she's, she, even she pivoted online and created an, a, an online business, you know, doing on, virtual consultations and everything. And I, I just feel like ever so many people have just pivoted because they had to, they had no choice.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, and, you know, it, it's, it's pretty inspiring to watch really. I think, yeah. um, I think people now expect things to be fairly hybrid. They expect you yeah. to have an online element to your physical product or service. You know, it's benefited us in a way that, you know, we, we we built WarriorNet. So in the first 10 days of lockdown, we basically filmed every single class from white belt to black belt over a 10-day over a period. And it was something like 700 classes, all about 20 minutes long. It was, uh, it's, it's one of the, the most extensive martial arts, online learning environments, you know, that exist. And um, and now, you know, we're now we're back to physical teaching. we have still got students all around the world, Australia, Spain, you know, across Europe, um, in the US now as well, who um, don't come with us physically, they, they, they're with us virtually. Um, but now, you know, now we're back to physical. If a, if a student misses a class, they can literally do the same class at home from the pre-recording. If they're going on holiday, they can they can literally follow the same schedule they were going to learn anyway. So there's, there's, there's huge um, benefits to that kind of hybrid version. But I, I, I do feel like a lot of people who... Who you know have pivoted online and thought they could just build an online course and online course and just put it out there, they've missed the, the point. A lot of people want community, they want familiarity, they want to they want to have an online course, but they want it with someone they know like, and trust. You know, so so it's it's there are so many different dynamics to making online successful for a business. So uh, a lot of what I do now alongside the Warwick Academy is I, is I I basically work with and mentor around 500 business owners a year. Um, through workshops, um, I work with companies like Dent, um, Najahi Events, um, F10X and Tears of Freedom. So, I do a lot of workshops. I do a lot of um, one-on-one mentoring, group accountability, sort of stuff, uh, which is which is really um, inspiring an, stuff. I love a,
0: an insane amount of growth, to be honest. To go in a year to five hundred clients, basically. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I mean, some of the workshops are hundred, a hundred in a time. You know, right, so okay. I, I'll, I'll probably I'll probably do a good three or four massive workshops a year, um, but it's it's um yeah it's it's one of the it's one of those you know I, I just love doing it you know sometimes you just find things you just really enjoy and I realized a lot of the skills I had used to develop the War Academy and now other businesses you know a lot of other business owners can benefit from that um, you know it's it's you know I think that the, the kind of the risks I've taken to to grow six seven figure businesses you know, a lot of other people don't need to make the same mistakes I've made. Yeah, of course. And so I, I really enjoy, I enjoy working with entrepreneurs. I enjoy working with startups, scale ups and, and seeing how they develop, you know? Yeah,
0: Yeah. no, that's very cool. Uh, I would be keen to do your um, online taekwondo class as well. I think, I, I didn't yeah. even know that it was a thing. I always assumed, you know, with something like that, it would need to be physical, um, you know, to have mistakes corrected or someone to visually see you, do you do you still maintain that online? Is there some way that like a, an interaction or is it like you know here's the video, work your, yourself through it, or do you still spend time speaking with them like, like this? Yeah,
1: totally. So so first of all, um with with when when it comes to kind of the if you're just virtual and you can't come to us physically, which we do have quite a few people doing. Then what we do is we do, we do virtual classes. We don't, we don't call them online classes because okay. I think online's been thrown around a lot. So we call them virtual classes. Yeah. But really, you know, we cap we the classes at eight. So if you look at, you know, if there's nine people on a Zoom screen, one of them is the instructor. He can see everyone in one snap. And, and then what we do is we make sure we go around, you know, a, a lot of it's about community, right? Especially when it was when people were in lockdown. So we would, we would spend time first 10 minutes just talking to the children, you know, what have you been up to today? Take it in turns to speak and just, you know, engage and, and communicate with their friends. And, and we'd spend that time. So there was that element of, you know, being personal. And then um, and then, of course, we, we asked them to demonstrate techniques individually. And then leadership is a big part of what we do. So we would ask them to actually lead the Zoom class. So regardless of the age, they would actually take it in turns leading the class through a technique, one to ten, their timing, um which is quite cool and then every two months we okay. have a uh, we have a catch-up call with parents so every two months we ask parents to fill in the breakthrough area assessment and we, we look at their child's confidence we look at their concentration we look at their community and um, you look at their conduct and we see what needs improvement what, what daily yeah. habits can we change at home is there any extra training we can provide to the parents you know is there is there anyone we could introduce them to whether that's you know um a mindful parenting workshop or someone in the digital space to help them with that sort of stuff um, or other tweaks we can make in class to make the experience better for children to accelerate them closer to their goals. So, we, sure. you know, I, I, th- I think for us, it's we're a premium service in Dubai. We're not like other clubs. and um, We certainly charge more than most clubs, and that's for a very good reason. All of our staff are, you know, British trained. They're, they're British to world champions or best-selling authors, um, and our classes are capped very, very small. So we make sure it's really intimate.
0: Awesome so it sounds like they really don't lose anything by doing it virtually to be honest it's it's the same you know what it was it was
1: it was the the strangest thing because we i remember we were we were were doing a zoom call with all the instructors and we were all like right because we were the same thought how can we possibly teach thousands Mm -hmm. of students online and make sure they got the same outcome Mm -hmm. the same development and technique and um and, and we were just like, well, we've got no choice, so we've got to do it. So let's <laughs> just crack on. So we so we, so true. we did it. And then and then I started getting messages in from instructors when I was asking them how it went. And they were they were saying to me, It's we're we're we have gone through the entire syllabus, we're halfway through the, the course. We're halfway through the period. They were they were they were they were accelerating through the content quicker, but for some reason than ever before and it was this mixture of them being able to absorb themselves in the online pre-recorded stuff and train at home often with their parents alongside the the fact that it was small intimate classes and the instructor was watching them one by one and and taking them through that process and they were actually accelerating through as through our syllabus very very quickly so we had, to, we had to come up with even more content for them to and challenges for them to do uh, which was really cool so you know when we I mean, now through lockdown, you know, for a lot of our students, we, we refuse to, to grade anyone um, as a black belt online. It has to be physical. So, you know, up in the last year, we've now got about 70 students who have been training at, at black tag level for a year and are ready for their black belt grading. And it's going to be one of the biggest black belt gradings we've got, considering most students have to stay with us for sort of eight to ten years to get a black belt with us. Whereas in other martial arts, it's three or four years. We're very strict on our belt system. So um, so yeah, it, it's it's amazing to see the level of technique these guys have got from home studying, but with that account accountability built in.
0: Very interesting. I, I guess that kind of makes sense as well. I mean, there's less opportunity for them to get distracted by other things in the room, such as each other, you know, because yeah, sort of in their own bubble environment as well. So. That yeah, totally. Um,
1: and and you know, we, were lever- we were leveraging tech as well and just saying to parents, look, if you want us to critique a, a technique of your child, film it, send it to the instructor on WhatsApp and send you a voice recording back with some tips. And it's just stuff like that, which, which you know, it was, just, it was just incredible to see how suddenly everyone embraced technology. It wasn't just a, oh, we want to come up with another one of Seb's crazy ideas to modify the Warrior Academy to bring something new. It was a case of parents were just up for it. You know let's just yeah. let's 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 create a a whatsapp broadcast list for anyone who wants to improve technique and have one-on-one from instructors it was just stuff like that we just did and it, and it worked really well because everyone was it was at that time where everyone was you know moving online at the same time
0: yeah that's cool um in terms of your sort of future plans for for the business where where do you see it going what's the if you got a clear plan or how, how yeah so we've got,
1: a, we've got a we've got a five-year plan um yeah. Uh, so essentially, a lot of what we do is, is linked to scholarships. So 10% of our students in the UK are on a scholarship. So 90% pay for their tuition, 10% are on scholarships. And that's typically students from disadvantaged backgrounds, um, uh, students who are siblings of children who are uh, terminally ill. So we work, with, we work with a lot of hospices. Uh, we work with, a lot of, um, we work with um, military families when their parents go away for six, six to 12 months at a time. And we work with the children so they get extra mentoring. And so scholarships in that regard, a lot of what we're trying to do, which is quite difficult during COVID, although I'm, I'm in communication right now with three orphanages in, in India. But essentially what we'd like to do is for every student in the Warrior Academy in the next five years, and we expect to be around the 20,000 mark in the next five years, for every student in the Warrior Academy, we want to have another student somewhere in the world on a scholarship. And what we'd quite like to do is for those scholarships to be in orphanages in third world countries, because that's where we feel we can make the most impact. And, and really there's kind of 20 year vision of that is, or 15 year is that when a child goes through our program, they become an, they they become a black belt. We automatically give them a job. So they're they're automatically given a job with us because part of becoming a black belt is learning how to teach the end of their their junior black belt. They do an assistant strengths course for a year. Uh, We guarantee them a job. So now we've got about 20 teenagers in the UK who are now starting work with us. Um, We'd like that Kind of vision to be embedded into the, the the orphanages and the partnerships we make around the world, and you know if, if you can just imagine, you know a group a group of orphans yeah. from India growing up to become instructors in Dubai, and or, or yeah. even manning and, and looking after managing that particular War academy, and that's our vision just to see that become go full circle.
0: That's very cool. I was actually going to ask you earlier how you go about finding staff because it seems like there's probably not a massive pool of people available. You know, for, for some jobs, you put an advert yeah. out and you get 2,000 applications in a minute. But I'd, I'd imagine for a taekwondo instructor, it's a bit of a smaller pool. So you, you've kind of solved yeah.
1: it. Yeah, it, it solved it long-term, right? If you could Long wait term, 10 yes. years. But I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, in, in, in that regard, yeah. In, in, in the regard of we are training up our students to become instructors as well, should they wish to go down that route? then yes, we yeah. are. But in, in terms of um, recruitment and stuff, what I found to be the best uh, way to do it is is to ask our current instructors to go and speak to their friends who they can vouch for, who they trained with, or, you know, they, they, they've seen them in action. They know they're good. So a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the people applying now are people from the GB team, ex Olympians, this sort of stuff, because we're, we're now in a network of, of people who who are super high level martial artists who who really they finished competing, but they're desperate to give back. They're desperate to continue um, doing what they were so passionate about and, um, and it, for us, it's just a case of we're sure that technique's good. Let's, let's, let's assess that. And then how are they with young people? You know, how passionate are they about the character development side? So there's all these other elements. It's one thing finding someone who's good at martial arts, and it's a whole other thing finding someone who's good at martial arts has, you know, rocket high levels of emotional intelligence so they can understand deep pain points from parents and, and create a super fun, engaging class for children. So there's a lot of elements here. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, I, I, that sounds like a, a, a tough search, but uh, it's awesome yeah. what you're doing. I, I actually think that's, uh, yeah, it's much more than I, I thought, you know, from, from the outside, It sort of looked like, you know, Taekwondo school. Um, but yeah, that's very cool. I think probably changing a lot of people's lives. And that's probably a sweet spot to have a business which is successful financially for yourself, but also beneficial to people. I think, you know, that's, that's not that, that common and um that must be yeah, quite 100 quite a nice place to yeah it's,
1: it's 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 one of those things i think you know the, the the business side i enjoy it's it's fun to to create a business and watch the business grow and, and provide that kind of security to your family and all sorts but i think and um, for me what really lights me up is is our kind of big vision and the scholarships and you know just just the the, the the messages we get from parents and tears about the impact we've made to their children's lives, especially the bullying side of things. That's that's something like, you know it's there's there's a huge element of that in what we do, and it's 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 really heartwarming just to, to see those changes.
0: Very cool. Um, quick fire. I think we've been here quite well now, but um, yeah. If someone wanted to relocate abroad, uh, top tips. You know things. That you top would tips um you know?
1: business owners or
0: uh just anyone just as an expat i think um okay, yeah cool. business owners let's do that. that that's probably more relevant business,
1: so. uh, business, business owners or expert I, I, it's kind of similar in a lot of ways I, I would say search out for um for groups online facebook groups to so just get involved socially um if you're if you're doing it if you're if you're traveling with your wife do this ask her to do the same thing and 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 get involved socially as soon as you as soon as you do go out some some of the sometimes we, we look back at um, you know where, would we would we move here would we would we move there one of the brilliant things about Dubai is that there's a quite a strong expat community and within these kind of compounds you tend to have fairly good communities where you know you can be a part of people tend to stick together because they're all on the same boat, um, so so that would probably be my biggest tip um, in terms of business if you're launching a business. That's that's a whole like big rabbit hole to jump down. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, no, that is massive. Pluck yeah. one tip. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, fair enough. Um, cool. Well, look, uh, where where can people find you if they if they want to find out more if they're interested in getting involved or getting their kids involved? In what you're doing yeah sure
1: so so if you're if you're in dubai or the uk and you're looking you know for the warrior academy um you can go to warrioracademy.co.uk or .ae. if you would like to get an insight into your child's breakthrough areas so one of the three c's to find out which level they're at and get a personalized report you can go to breakthrougharea.com uh, if you want to find out about the not a victim movement and learn how you can mentor your child through bullying uh, very very quickly then go to notavictim.co.uk and if you're looking for mentoring business mentoring uh with me then just go to spastianbates.com
0: awesome and you do social media and stuff like that as well so yeah blog? you can find me on
1: instagram uh seb.bates on instagram or, or warrior academy
0: uh, on instagram cool awesome thank you very much i appreciate that it was it was super interesting